to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 27th of April 2014, entitled The Believer's Relationship to the Law, Part 1, and the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Romans chapter 7, we'll be taking our reading this morning, we're going to read the entire chapter to get its beautiful context here, and then we'll be looking, God willing, at the first seven verses in our thoughts for this morning. Okay, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word as we read from Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law, by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not come. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. The commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would... I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, 
It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have this glorious privilege, the freedom, the strength, the health, the place to meet in today, Lord, that we can come together truly to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to sing the praises to your name this morning. Father, now as we look into your word, we realize that, Lord, we are desperate to hear from you because... Father, it's not man's words that we need here today, nor man's thoughts. But I pray, Lord, from the very depths of my being that you would see fit, Lord, to use this unworthy mouthpiece to speak the words that you would have spoken today. Lord, you knew beforehand when you gave us these thoughts that you knew each one that would be here today. You know the hearts of each individual. And Father, you know the needs of each one better than we know ourselves. So Father, I pray earnestly. Lord, if there be one in our midst today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, we pray that you would speak to their hearts, that they would recognize their need, Lord, that they would respond in whatever way they need to today and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for each of your children, Lord, you know exactly what they're going through. You know what they need. Father, our desire is that day by day we would become a bit more like our Savior in some way. And Lord, it is your word that will conform us to that image. So I pray that you would speak to the hearts of each of your children here today. Help and do that work that they most need, that in some way we can all leave here today a bit stronger, a bit more like our Savior. And we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, of course, if you have... Been here the last few weeks, we departed from our series that we were going through and, and just felt a need. And of course, this has been just a touching, but we've basically, first of all, we looked at an overview of Romans chapter 5, and then the last two weeks, we looked at Romans chapter 6. This morning, we want to take a portion of Romans chapter 7. And if we would, in this overall, we said that, of course, from the very time when Christ was here and when these words were being written, confusion is not something that's new. But God did not give us his word for us to be confused. And he specifically sent us his spirit that we might have understanding of these words because he tells us clearly that the words of God are not understood by the natural man, but by the spiritual. It's only through God himself, through his spirit, but he's given, it this, given us that for a reason. And of course, there's a lot of confusion about on this subject of God's law and God's grace. And what we looked at here, first of all, as we looked in Romans chapter 5, was just the simple thought that 
You know, God's grace is so big and it's so wonderful and it's so powerful and it's so engulfing that we can't even begin to describe the fullness of it. But as we looked at Romans chapter 5, we said that believe it or not, as big as it is, <coughs> there are actually limitations to God's grace. There are limitations, and we looked at some of those. We said that grace cannot save an unrepentant sinner. That's impossible. God's grace can't and won't do that. Grace cannot restore an unrepentant saint. Grace cannot, under any circumstances, condone any form of sin. That's not what grace is about. It's not making sin okay. Grace cannot coexist with the law. And that's what becomes hard for us to grasp and understand. Well, what is this relationship between God's law and God's grace? It can't be by both. And we looked at one final thought that grace cannot exist where pride remains. You see, it is a humiliating thing to admit that you're a sinner. And that doesn't come easy for most people until we come to the point of humbling ourselves before God. God says he'll resist the prideful. As long as we think we're okay and as long as we think that we can do it ourselves, God's grace will never be able to help us. And then as we moved on from those and looked into Romans chapter 6, the Last two Sundays, we saw there this relationship of sin's dominion versus grace's freedom. <clears throat> and we looked at the fact of the way that, that sin itself, it gained the right to rule in the Garden of Eden when God first gave that dominion to man. But man gave it up when he chose sin. We looked at the the right to rule, the power to rule, the greed to rule. How the Bible shows us that in our natural state, this sin has dominion over us. It has authority. It has power over us. But then as we looked at, it, at that in contrast to grace's freedom, we saw that the Bible says that we're no longer under the law, but we are now under grace. And we saw that how an individual, the only way they can be set free from the dominion of sin and Satan, from the consequences of whether, is by God's grace. Grace is the only thing that will set you free. And of course, the Bible teaches us that when he sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. So with those thoughts in mind, as we move forward today into Romans chapter 7, I want us to think about this simple relationship between the believer and the law. And we're going to try to look at that in a simple way this morning that we see here in these verses, that God, first of all, will make a proclamation to us, and then he will give us an illustration to help us to understand what he said.
And then he will make application as to how that illustration in the natural applies to us in the spiritual. And then he'll make a confirmation of that glorious truth that he proclaimed. What do we mean when we talk about the law? We find that certainly in Scripture that it's spoken of in, in a various number of ways, speaking of law, speaking of uh, statutes, speaking of commandments, ordinances, testimonies, all of these various words, the precepts of God's Word that is, that is given to us there. Well, if we look back into the Old Testament, we find that the Bible teaches us in Ecclesi Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and verse 13, next to the last uh, uh, verse in that book, says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What does it all come down to? In other words, all that he has written in this entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of of man. Now let me begin by reminding each and every one of us that as we look into God's word, we might say, well, that was the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. May I remind you of a couple of things to keep in mind as we look at some passages here in both the Old Testament and the New, that God hasn't changed. His word is eternal. His word hasn't changed, yes. To properly understand anything, any scripture that God has given to us, we need to look at it in its proper context. Who it was written to, who it was written by, when it was written, what was the, the purpose of his writing and these things to grasp and understand it. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is what? It's profitable is profitable for each and every one of us that we might be thoroughly or thoroughly furnished. We find that God didn't just put these words down here because they were something that he told somebody one time and he's changed his mind about. So let's keep these things in mind. Yes, they have to be in their perfect perspective, but it is God's word. And he says here, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. If you turn back just a few pages in your Bible, Psalm 119, which is not only the longest chapter in the Word of God, but its entire focus is upon the Word of God. He says in Psalm 119 and verse 11, the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in my heart for what purpose? He says, That I might not sin against thee. It's God's word in our hearts that will keep us from sinning against God. It'll never happen in our flesh, no matter how much we're determined, no matter how much we desire it, no matter what our intentions, without God's word. And we'll see that come into perspective without God's word. How do we know what God wants and what God doesn't want? How do we know God at all? 
In that same chapter in Psalm 119, he tells us in verse 165 of that same chapter, if I can get my pages unstuck, he says, great peace have they which, does what? Love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I think getting offending is one of getting offended is one of people's favorite pastimes a lot of times. Somebody did this or somebody said that. It's so easy to look and because somebody has looked at us wrong or said something, whether we've got it in the right context or not, to get offended. One of the greatest problems that every church has around the world is people offending other people. Most people don't end up leaving a fellowship because that they've got some great doctrinal issue with the church. It's because of what somebody else has said or done. They get offended. They get unhappy with sin. The Bible says that it is God's word, God's law, that will keep us from being offended. If we look back to what Moses said back in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 18, And of course, Moses, the one that was given what we often speak of as God's law that was written in the tablets of stone. In Exodus chapter 18 and verse 16, he says, when they have a matter, they come unto me and I judge between one and another. Notice how he does it. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws in their personal lives when they've got a problem with each other. Moses said, they come unto me for me to, to judge this matter. And what does he do? I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Why does the Bible teach us as believers that it's not for the world to resolve our differences and our problems? As believers, as a church, we ought to be able to, there is no problem that is so big that we ought not to be able to resolve it with God. But of course, the only way that that's going to happen is when we look to God's law. You know, there's been a lot of hype in the media in the last week or two over comments that were made about this being a, a Christian nation and its Christian heritage and these things. And of course, there's all kind of comments from just about every area of, I guess, society that you can think of, and their views depend very much on where they're coming from in that society. But one thing that is unquestionable, when you look at the laws of this land, they were originally based upon God's law because that was what man believed was right and wrong and what told him right and wrong and what should be expected and not expected. Now we can sadly say today that many of those laws have been changed. Many of the laws that are put in today are not based upon God's word at all. As a matter of fact, they're totally contrary to God's law. You see, we find that God's law never changes. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's forever settled in heaven. If we look into the book of Isaiah, notice what the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 42. And notice what he said in verse 21. He said, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. Now, 
We sing about that in a couple of the songs earlier. Where our righteousness comes from, all of our righteousness, the Bible says, are as filthy rags, but our righteousness is of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. You see, you can't separate God's righteousness and his law. We can sure tell how unrighteous we are when we begin to look at his law. That's part of what his law does for us. Part of what it's doing for us is showing us the righteousness of God and our inability to find that righteousness within ourselves. One of the passages that I'd like to read from the Old Testament is turning back to the Psalms again. In Psalm 19, Psalm 19, not 119 this time. And in Psalm 19, Notice what he says here in verses 7 to 10. He says, the law of the Lord is, what's the next word in your Bible? Perfect. Wow, the law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what? Converting the soul. Now, if I'm not mistaken, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We can't save anybody, no matter what we know about God, no matter what we know about anybody. For by grace are you saved through faith. The only way to get there is by faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The statutes, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Do you know that every soul that has ever been redeemed has been because it's God's law that has suddenly shown him his sinfulness and shown him the Savior that can save him from that sinfulness. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We find much in the New Testament about how that man has become so wise in his own wisdom or what he thinks is wisdom. The Bible is simply saying here, God's testimonies, same word, are sure they make wise the simple. This is where true wisdom will come from. He goes on and he says, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Usually the problem that most people have with God's law is because that it begins to convict. <laughs> But in actual fact, it's that same word that will bring us to that repentance to where we can get rid of that barrier to where we can truly know that relationship with our Lord. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I can't remember if I mentioned this later in my notes or not. But you know, I guess this past week and having the privilege to lecture on eschatology at the Bible College, you know, one of the things that we looked at there, of course, in the end times was when man comes before God at that great white throne of judgment. And the Bible talks about a book being opened 
but he talks about the books being opened as well. When we compare Scripture with Scripture, we begin to say, how is man going to be judged upon these 66 books that I hold in my hand? I believe that, the, that is the books that he's talking about, that when it comes down to it, the book is the Lamb's book of life. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, there is no hope. And there's only one way to get your name written in the Lamb's book of life, and that's to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. But the books, man will be judged by this book, not by what man thinks, but by this book. We find that the Scriptures are clear. Now, to many of the Jews... The problem was, was that the law superseded faith in the very God that had given them that law. In other words, it is possible for the law to take such a place. We find this term legalist, that a person is more concerned about the law than about the very God that it's supposed to be pointing them to and teaching them about. And of course, it was because of that that they even got to where they had critical spirits, not just towards society as a whole. Nobody could live up to their standards. But even towards the Lord Jesus Christ, they criticized the Lord because they were taking God's law and making it their law and making it mean what they wanted and what they meant and what they said. The Apostle Paul faced similar criticisms by them. You see, what had happened there is that this very law that we're talking about to these Pharisees, it had become the means of salvation, which was never God's intention. Remember this, folks. Somehow people think that sometimes people got saved in the Old Testament by the law and in the New Testament by grace. No, there's only one way to God. And what's made it, go, go, go read Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith. <laughs> Look at what the Bible teaches us. By faith, by faith, by faith. But there were those that had begun to look at the the law was never meant to save. It was meant to show a man his sinfulness. It shows us the standard. Yes, that is the standard to, to strive for. And they had to repeatedly do all these things and they had to repeatedly bring the sacrifices because they could never attain. We find that God didn't give us the law to save us. He gave us the law to understand his righteousness, what's right and wrong with God, to understand his holiness, to see what the standard is where no sin exists. We find that during Christ's ministry, during the early church, through every age, there are those that look for religion with no restrictions. They just want a religion that'll help them to feel better, that'll somehow ease their conscience. They want to trust the Lord, but they don't want him to be Lord. 
They want to trust him to save them, but they don't want to serve him. They want to be able to just continue to live like the world and know that someday they can go be with him. We find that's a danger that has been right through the history of the church and continues today. Look with me into the New Testament, into the Gospel of Matthew. If you're lucky at this rate, I might get through my introduction this morning. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. And notice what the Word of God teaches us here. And of course, you recognize that in Matthew chapter 5 that we have the recording, the beginning of the recording of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus Christ himself preaching this sermon, amen. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Now apparently there were some that maybe had this idea in that day that he was there to do away with the law in some way. Jesus said, don't even think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come, I am not come to destroy, but to what? To fulfill. Jesus said, I didn't come to, take, to make this any less than what it is. I didn't come to take away from it. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to live up to it. I came to fulfill it. And of course he did. He had to fulfill it or he wouldn't have been able to have been our Savior. And that's what we talked about last week. We have that great evidence. One of the greatest evidences that we have is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It sets apart from any other religion that man comes up with. Jesus came to fulfill that law. He says, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. One jot, one tittle. You know, that's not even a letter. <laughs> it's just a mark. It's that tiny mark that may seem so insignificant, and he says, yet not one jot, not one tittle is going to pass away until all be fulfilled. Guess what? I believe we've got more in the future. It's not all been fulfilled yet. There's still a need for it because there's still souls that need to be saved. You see, I won't charge extra for this. One day, we won't need it anymore because we won't have this flesh anymore, praise God. We won't have to deal with it. We won't have to go through this battle that we see taking place in the latter part of this chapter that the Apostle Paul is going through between his flesh and his spirit. It won't be. But right now, as long as we've got to deal with the flesh, we need to deal with it in the light of God's law. So we find that he goes on in verse 19. He says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now one thing that 
we must always keep in mind when we're studying God's word, you know, the golden rule. The Bible says that God's word is not open to private interpretation. Well, the golden rule to keep from having a private interpretation is let the scripture interpret it. Let scripture interpret scripture. You know, look at all that God's saying about something. Look at all before you start saying, well, look at what this verse says. Well, is that in context of everything that God has given us about it? When we begin to look at the law, we know that, you know, we've just got through reading in today's reading that on the one hand, and we looked last week that we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. But what we've got to grasp and understand is that doesn't mean that God's law has changed, that it's ever changed, that it's ever gone anywhere, that it's ever been diminished, that it's ever been destroyed. Matter of fact, he puts forth a tremendous challenge here when he says that for any of those that would not only break one of the very smallest of God's commandments, but anybody that would teach somebody else that, even if that person is saved, the Bible says they're the least in the kingdom. But whoever so teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus in the New Testament said that we're to teach God's law, God's statutes, God's word, God's principles. One of the passages that shows us it's important so much we find in Romans Chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, one of the most graphic descriptions in the whole Word of God concerning man in his sinfulness. Notice what he, how he begins this chapter. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? In other words, in speaking about God's chosen people, what, what, what was the advantage that a Jew had over the rest of the world? Much every way. Well, there's a lot of advantage, but chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The thing that set them apart, he says, chiefly more than anything is because that they had the word of God. Without that. There's no hope. We find that in that same chapter, he tells us down in verse 31, he says, do we then make void the law through faith? Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Salvation by grace through faith. It shouldn't do anything to, to take away to void God's law, he says here, but rather to establish God's law. He tells us in this same great book, he tells us over in chapter 7 and in verse 12, he says, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. How can you get more perfect than holy? 
we find all these descriptives that put God's law, God's word above all of it. He also tells us, if you look back into chapter, chapter 3, notice what he says there in verse 19 and 20. He says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Why? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I'm saying to you today, when you diminish the law, you diminish grace. We find this teaching, you know, that you know, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Well, guess what? When you begin to diminish God's law, you diminish grace. The exact reverse. We find that the Bible is so explicitly clear here. You know, the law is binding to those. How, how do we get set free from the penalties, from the condemnation that comes under the law? Only by grace. Do we realize that every human being without grace without accepting that God's law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, without his righteousness being applied to us, we will face the punishment, the consequences of breaking God's law, of being under the law. Now, a lot of things, and we don't have time to do a, a doctrinal study. But remember, we've already seen that sin already existed <laughs> We were under the dominion of sin before the law came into existence. It wasn't God's law. Anything contrary, anything less than God's perfection, his holiness, his righteousness is sin. The law didn't make it sinful. It let us know what was sinful. It taught us the mind of God, the heart of God, what God's expectations were. <coughs> we even recognize that in our society. You think that if you were in a hurry to get to London and you chose to push that car to its limits and you were running down the M40 about, you know, 110, 120 miles per hour and the, the law pulls you over and you say, well, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't know the speed limit was only 70. You think that'd get you off the hook? <clears throat> you got some imagination if you think so. <laughs> We say ignorance of the law is no excuse. You go out there and you take somebody's life. Oh, I'm I didn't realize that was wrong because I didn't know it. The law didn't make sin sin. It was by the law, he said, that we have the knowledge of sin, that we understand what sin is. Chapter 5, verse 20 of this same book, he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You see, a lot of people want to quote the last half of this verse, but they leave off the first half of it. But it's all taken together. The law entered that the offense might abound. Without the law, we didn't know what was wrong. It was by the law that we could see all that's wrong and all that's sinful before our God. 
we find that, you see, the law shows us how big the sin is. But the great thing is, is that no matter how big the sin is, grace is bigger, praise God. One's not to diminish the other. The law shows us just how sinful we are. But grace shows us just how worthy our Lord is and our sacrifice that is our salvation. We find that in the next chapter in Romans chapter 6, we read this a couple weeks ago for in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. If you haven't received the grace of God, if you haven't put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? Dominion does still have. I mean, sin does still have dominion over you. Sin is still in control unless grace has come in. So we recognize that later, part of this chapter 6 here, it expounds this, this first truth that the believer no longer is under the law regarding its power to condemn. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it and you're in him and his righteousness has been imputed to you. It's not because of anything you've done. It's because by God's wonderful, glorious grace, he doesn't see that sin. The still there in your flesh, which is this whole big battle that the Apostle Paul goes through in the latter part of chapter 7 here. You see, he picks up with that truth. The believers are now under grace. Do you know that throughout this chapter that he refers to the law 23 times? And eight of those are in the first six verses of this chapter. And we find that as he begins to look at this, he makes this proclamation, which I'm going to give to you. If you want the rest, you'll have to come back next week. If you don't, stay away, because that's what we're going to be looking at. I want us to grasp and understand. It's important to you folks. A lot of very, very good people that are just as saved as you and I that are on their way to heaven, people that are a lot smarter than me in a whole lot of theological areas and everything else can very easily be misled or misguided because they simply haven't looked at everything the Bible says and they hear some guy teaching this and they hear some guy preaching this. Well, don't believe it just because someone, don't believe it just because I say it, just because I preach it. Go to God's word. That's what you're going to be judged by. That's what will change your life. We find that he makes this glorious proclamation that I hope that you know today. He says, know ye not, brethren. Who's he speaking to? For I speak to them that know the law. He's speaking to them that know. God's word, that know God's demands, that know God's law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. <clears throat> now we're going to, to look at this thought next week. We're going to hopefully get the beautiful picture that God is giving us here so that we can grasp and understand. You see, 
I want to leave you with this simple thought this morning. That God's law that was given to us is the only way, the only way that we will ever understand and know what sin is. It's the only way that we can know God's standard. It's not what man says is right and wrong. It's God's laws, God's statutes, God's testimonies. That's what gives us his standard. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Now, yes, it can be binding because as long as we don't experience that grace in our lives, it is a condemning thing. Because when you begin to look at God's laws, you're going to see, whoa, man, man, I messed up there and I fell there and I fell there. But you see, that's not a negative thing. That's the only thing that can bring you to God's grace. The more you see and understand, listen to me, and I say this with all the, the more you understand just how vile you are, just how sinful that you are. And your preacher, your pastor, the vilest and most sinful of all. I, you know, the reason that God's grace is so unreachable, unexplainable, indescribable to me is because I know what God had to do to save me. And I know what he has to do to put up with me day by day and week by week. Boy, I understand, Paul. Boy, I know it may be a bad word, but sometimes I just downright hate myself. I despise myself. Why? Why did you do that again? Why didn't you do that? And yes, that's God's law that shows me. Had, not, had God not given me his law, I wouldn't have the knowledge of that. I wouldn't have the understanding of that. I wouldn't even know that it was his standard. He didn't give that to me to make me right. And as long as I'm trying to live up to it in the flesh, you see, the ironic thing is, the harder you try, the harder you try, the more you're going to fail It's when you give up and take him that you're set free from it. Grace sets you free, not because it's been done away with, but because you see by it how much you need his grace. You see what his grace has got to overcome. You see what it's got to consider, what it's got to take in, all that Jesus had to do in order for you to have that eternal life. We don't want to make the law a negative thing. And the only way you should be bound by it is if you're not under God's grace. But God will set you free because the more you understand your failings, your shortcomings, your unworthiness, oh, God's grace will abound more because you understand more and more why it's got to be him, why you've got to depend upon him. Father, as we, Lord, have so ineffectively in our words, but we can only pray, Lord, that truly through your word and by the power of your spirit that you can, Lord, speak to every heart here today. Lord, take these simple thoughts and help them to grasp and understand, Lord, the beauty of your law, the wonder of your law. Lord, that, that through those things, you never gave those things to us to expect us to be saved by them but to show us how impossible it was for us, how unworthy we were, how unacceptable that we were, so that we could better see Jesus Christ and your glorious grace that you shed upon us through him coming for us and him living that life that we couldn't, him fulfilling that law, and then 
the one that didn't deserve it, taking the penalty of it, of death for each of us that did deserve that punishment. He did it in our stead. Help us to understand better just how big and wonderful and glorious your grace is, how it sets us free because of who Jesus is, because of who we are in him. And Father, I just pray right now that if there be one here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, please, please help them, Lord, not to leave this place in that condition today. Help them to understand, yes, they are sinful. Yes, they're totally unworthy. But Jesus is everything, and he's done it all for them. And right here today, if they'll put their faith and trust in him, it's not about religion. It's not about doing something. It's about a relationship with him. If they're not in Christ today, help them to put, take away all of that pride. And quit thinking what they have done and what they can do. And just surrender to him what he's accomplished for them. And Father, for every believer, Oh, help us, Lord, just begin to grasp and understand, Lord, that it's by your law that we have knowledge, that we have understand, that we can even know sin. Lord, we pray that you'll help us today to know that freedom that is ours through grace, that freedom that sets us free from the dominion, the power of sin in our lives. We give you the praise and thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.